Welcome to the EQIQ podcast. I'm Aaron Henderson, and our guest today is the famous urban farmer and massive content creator, Curtis Stone. Curtis is the founder of The Urban Farmer, a platform teaching young hopefuls how to farm in an urban or semi-urban environment and turn a real profit. From early childhood lessons and into entrepreneurship and a wealth of deeply connected experiences in nature, Curtis Fast became a tour de force for maximizing profit and fulfillment from farming ever smaller plots of land. His YouTube channel has over 30 million views and almost 360,000 subscribers. Curtis runs multiple teaching platforms, a podcast, actually I think it's two, an online tool shop and tons of content in many areas. Thousands of young people have have, uh, springboarded from Curtis's course into profitable on-the-land businesses. It's a real pleasure to welcome uh, welcome to the show, Curtis Stone. Welcome to Week by Q. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for that great introduction. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, your content is crazy, man. Seriously, you, you, you like the Gary V of farming. It's a <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> that's a great. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that. I don't know. It's like maybe it's like more regular in your neck of the woods. You know, Americans and Canadians they're pretty like you know good good on the entrepreneurship. And I'm I'm guessing you did a. The, the huge hours you did in the beginning of your journey didn't allow you to do so much content. How, how, how did that develop into such a massive flow of, of content? Could you, could you give us a little time on inside? Or? Yeah. I mean, it was a grind, dude. I mean, I, uh, I have, I have, I have a family now. I have two children and, and a wife. And so I, you know, when I first got into it, I was a single guy kind of flying by the seat of my pants. So, um, it was just insane hours, but I never, I, I didn't really count hours when I was doing them. When I look back, I was going, I sometimes would count it and go, oh my God, I was putting in 100 hour weeks for many years in a row. Like it was ridiculous. I mean, when I, but I didn't, I didn't start YouTubing until I, until I was <coughs> maybe five years into farming. Like I ran my farm for 10 years and I don't, I didn't start YouTubing until about year five. So I mean, I had a first, all those, those first five years, I was just grinding, you know, figuring it out. Um, a lot of trial and error. I had a lot of really good, generous farmers around me. Like I'm in a real ag hub. I've got a lot of good farmers, very knowledgeable, we, a huge organic region here too. So I, I had a lot of people to learn from and, um, I was just a sponge for those five years. And then when I really started getting into YouTubing, um, it actually accelerated my knowledge because anybody who gets into this, I mean, in the world we live in today with social media for better or worse, there's, there's a lot of good things that come out of it. One is that you, by putting yourself out there, you get a lot of people that reach out to you. Mm -hmm. And so I had, I experienced that. And so um, I started writing my book in year five of farming. And then that was probably the hardest year of my life because in that year, my farm collapsed basically. Like I was in a partnership and it, the partnership just didn't work out and it was a nightmare and we had to completely restructure the business, um, change the whole model, downsize, leave multiple plots of land. I also ended a, a relationship that lasted about two years at that time. So I lost mm-hmm. my, my girlfriend at the time, lost my business, at least for, for the most part, had to restructure it. Uh, but then I kind of came out like a phoenix, you know, like, I, <laughs> like the fiery phoenix, you know, I came out of it really, really on top. And in that year, kind of by dropping all that dead weight, I wrote my book, I published my first line online 
uh, first online course and I started YouTubing a lot. And at that time I was, mm-hmm. I was starting to really crank it, like doing, you know, multiple videos a day or no, no a day, multiple videos a week. And then I grew it from there. I just kept, you know, then it was like, I, I wanted to do like a, almost a video every day. And I did, I didn't do that, but it was maybe five days a week I was doing it. And so just wow. multiple years of doing that, you know, it really what it comes down to is you, if you do something enough, yeah. it, uh, you get good at it and, and people will, will buy into it. Mm-hmm. And tell me like, I mean, right, right in the middle of that, you said you wrote your book and I like I've heard from many of my guests and a lot of people that I follow, I, I, I kind of qualify, follow quite a, like a very group of people on online that writing a book is like pretty heavy experience. Like some people like Jordan Peterson is like, he's, he's an academic. So he was pretty Mm -hmm. used to it. So when he described it, it was like, he still said big sacrifice, heavy discipline, but then other authors that have less academic background, someone just said it's a total nightmare. So how how was the, how was the process for you? Yeah, it was hard. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a nightmare. It was, um, cause I enjoy writing. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, well, let me put it to you this way. I enjoy communicating. Mm. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of realizing that maybe writing isn't my favorite thing to do. Getting my thoughts out in some kind of form is uh-huh. I love doing. I really enjoy the podcast format actually right now. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and, and my, my most current, um, content dedication is from the field.tv, my membership site. Yeah. That's been the best incarnation of anything I've ever done because I get to be long form. I get to really go into the details and I don't have to worry about bullshit uh, YouTube clicks. You know what I mean? And, and, and clickbait and, and playing that whole algorithm game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but writing the book, I mean, yeah, it was hard. It took me 18 months and it was the first six months were... I started doing it. It was, yeah, year five of my farm as I was restructuring my farm and and I was kind of rediscovering what made the most sense in agriculture because up until that point, my farm kind of did this. It did this weird where I started at a half acre and then I had a little bit of a dip and then I grew like four times the size and then went down to a quarter (laughs) acre. And it was in when I went back down to a quarter acre where I really figured out the sweet spot. And then that's, that's mm-hmm. where the, the bulk of the content for my book came from. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but yeah, for those six, first six months was basically just planning it out because I was, I was farming at the time. So in that growing season, I was essentially just making notes of, of things that I really felt it was important to convey, like things that were outside of the obvious, like as far as production and, and all that stuff. Um, and then October that year, I submitted the outline to the publisher. Like I had a publishing deal before I had a book. I was, mm-hmm. I was fortunate in that, um, my, my good friend, Jean-Martin Fortier had published with new society and, um, I had a conversation with them and they really liked me mm-hmm. and, uh, they thought, you know, Hey, this guy's already doing public speaking. He's got a YouTube channel, like easy for us. Cause you know, they don't, yeah. and that's kind of how publishing is today. A, a book publisher generally won't won't work with an author unless they have a, a social media presence or wow. at least are very searchable in SEO, yeah, right? Yeah, unless yeah. they're like optimized online, which is crazy. But <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, the first six months was just kind of planning it, hammered out the outline in October, and then that's when the real work began. Mm-hmm. So the, the the year from there was an absolute grind. So mm-hmm. that winter, you know, I'm. 
I'm outlining and outlining and outlining, you know, that, and that's how I wrote it. And if I write, if I write again, that's how I'll, I'll do it is you come up with a basic outline. What are like the 10 chapters? What are the big topics? Yeah. And then what's the sub outline from there? And then what's the sub outline in there? So I outline, outline, outline to the point where when you go to each of those little chunks, that's like a very specific thing. It's quite easy to write that because it's like, okay, you're writing 200 words or something like that mm-hmm. on this very specific thing. So the, the process was easy and I really liked my process. And by the time I had got to going working with the editor, I really enjoyed the process. And I was like, yeah, okay, this is cool. But it was crazy because, I mean, yeah, that winter, you know, I, w- I, I still was farming in the winters because I did microgreens and all that. But I wasn't like crazy time. But when it came to April again, I was still farming full time. And so I'm writing full time every day so i'm i'm spending 40 hours a week writing uh and 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 editing and i'm spending Whoa. 40 hours a week on the farm and then i'm spending probably 10 to 20 hours a week making youtube videos whoa it was insane and i was doing my online course all at the same time whoa so writing my book i wrote my book and online course at the same time so the online <laughs> course was multimedia and it had um it had a uh the similar structure in the book, but just far more detailed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, just because with the video content, multimedia, and and Q and As and stuff like that. But yeah, it was crazy. Is de- is dealing with the, that like the all the different platforms and and the and the media and all those different technicalities? Is that something you 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 learned early on as a musician, or is it just something you you warm to easily? Yeah, it's something I learned on early on because I came from being a, a touring musician and, and mm-hmm. I was the one, um, you know, in my band, I was kind of the bona fide band leader. Like, no, you know, that was never discussed, but I was because I wrote most of the music. Mm-hmm. I did most of the arrangements and I also booked most of our gigs. Okay. <laughs> so, I, you know, I was kind of the band leader. Uh, my Our drummer, Bill, at the time, though, he he was it was me and him more or less actually as the band leaders. Cause him and I wrote the bulk of the music together. I would have ideas and then he would kind of, we, we would arrange them together. We did it through recording. Uh, but both him and I were very proactive. So I was one of the leaders. And so, yeah, it was, it was something that kind of, when I got into farming, it was kind of easy for me to do. I kind of mm. saw the value in <clears throat> just talking about the project. I mean, I was getting, and social media wasn't nearly as big as it is now back then. Cause this is, you know, this is, um, I would have started, I started hyping my farm, you know, 10 years ago, or what was it? 12 years ago now, but I was saying yes to every college newspaper interview. Mm-hmm. I was saying yes to every like small radio show. You know, I wasn't doing a lot on social media or I wasn't doing anything on YouTube at the time, but I was just taking every opportunity to promote my farm and my business. And so mm-hmm. that definitely helped with, uh, getting the name out there and you know by the time i was actually selling at the farmer's market i heard like for the first day i already had people coming there that had heard about me mm-hmm. so it was yeah yeah it's a it's a, one of the, the it's funny that you said um the way your process for writing because it sounds like very structured and ordered but when it reads it reads very like uh, i mean listen i've actually I, I got the for the purpose of this interview i bought the audible because i oh, wanted cool. to quickly i wanted to you know read as much as possible a lot of the time I do the audible before I read the book, I, I do it at like a one and a half or two speed. Perfect. Just yeah, so, I do the same. <laughs> you get through it quick. 
but uh, yeah. it reads really like very uh, like story like you know it's it's very engaging yeah. it's not so it doesn't I, I didn't I kind of expected it to be very kind of like cold uh, okay this is what you do and ABC right. it's very uh, it was it's very story like very very engaging oh cool yeah I mean it's the first thing I ever wrote <laughs> you know I, I I was a total flunk in uh, high school I I was I, I never would have imagined myself as an academic when I um, when I went to college. Uh, I studied music composition and I got in there uh, only because of my, um, my musical ability. And I really like, I didn't know anything about music theory and all that. I basically spent uh, three or four months prior to going to the entry exam to get into the college. I just learned a bunch of music theory. So I've always been very Mm self-motivated. But when I got into college, I didn't take any of the academic courses. I dropped I because I didn't I didn't care about getting my degree. I just wanted to go to college to learn the things that I wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been that way. Like I just I could care less about the academic uh, perspective, the prestige, or all that bullshit. I just want the information. Mm-hmm. And um, I think as a writer, I kind of feel the same way. I'm just like I'm just here to convey information. I don't care what anybody thinks, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wanna I wanted to go into a little bit about your about your father because he sounded like a really interesting uh, interesting guy, and I, like one I just wanted to say like one of the benefits I'm really grateful for hosting a podcast is that a lot of the times it pushes me to focus and examine someone's work that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't dive in depth before because it was just a little bit out of my context, mm-hmm. and uh, I got a big family, a lot to manage, and and the, and the fantastic surprise when I found your uh, one as I get a real resonance that I didn't expect. It's very entrepreneurial. Your, your book, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. like uh, you know, I, I expected it to be more on technicalities of farming and that, and it is a bit, but I mean, it's yeah. very very, you know, on the numbers and how to market and everything. And the, the really thing that struck me when I started off was the story about your father was just a. Uh, uh, I, I would even I wanted to actually even list uh, three of the things that he said there. It was that sure was fantastic. Um, yeah, let's see if I've got them here. Yeah, you, you said uh, if you, you you said your father gave you four rules, uh, and I want to listen for our listeners because I just think they're fantastic. Uh, if your expenses outweigh your income, you're in danger. And um, two, if you if you say you're going to do something, do it. A handshake is a done deal. Uh, three, a deal is not a deal unless both parties are absolutely happy with it. And four, if you make a mistake with a customer, you make it right by making it better, better than yeah. right. Yeah. So I, I just, I just want to like some people to notice like a lot of those, those rules, although they're like also like very entrepreneurial, they also have like a, uh, like a kind of like an intrinsic, like old school kind of value behind totally. them. Like totally. Like the handshake and everything. Yeah. I'm just wondering if that's like something that you, like you, you know, you, you got like quite a bit of that from your, from oh, your man. father. It sounded like you were- Absolutely. I mean, I got that from my dad on a principled level because my dad wasn't really a successful entrepreneur mm-hmm. he, he did okay i mean he's yeah you know, he yeah he, far from not not even close to wealthy you know my dad's yeah. you know still middle class but um he uh he was a man of his word he is a man of his word and um the he always yeah made it clear to me that you you had to be the same if you're going to be worth anything mm. uh, you can strip away a person's um image you can strip away your money you can strip away all these physical things but at the end of the day all you are is your word and uh that was really important for me and i and i found once i really started to understand that and act on that 
it was very easy to make headway in the business world. Mm. And I, and I, I take those values, uh, to me, uh, or, or to this day, I use those in every single entrepreneurial activity that I'm in. Cause I'm in, I'm involved in all kinds of stuff. I own a tools company, you know, yeah. I've got a, a media company. I've got lots of people that work for me now. And, you know, I do all kinds of stuff, uh, all related to farming, yeah. but, um, you know, the, 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 that's been the biggest thing is, is been my character that has, because, uh, because, you know, like getting into all this, I'm just bullshitting people in the sense that I, I was never an expert on anything, but I <laughs> got in, it. you know, it, I didn't know anything about farming before I got into farming. I didn't know anything about running companies until I got into running companies. You know, I didn't know any about any, any of this stuff until I started doing it. But I learned really quickly that your character is the number one thing that will allow you to move forward very quickly in life. Because if you're a good, if you have good character, your, your, your word is solid gold. You correct things. All those four things my dad told me, um, it's very easy to build an army around you of people that want to help you Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're the kind of person they want to have around. And so Mm -hmm. I, I found, and that was really important for me because when I got into farming and then later into just general entrepreneurialism, there was some mentors in my life that were very important. And if I wasn't the kind of guy that could create value and where, where these people who, you know, their time's more valuable than mine are going to say, well, why would I help this guy? Mm -hmm. You know, and that, and, and that, that's what's, that was really important for me. And I, I still carry those values very close. And, uh, so you felt yeah, you had, to, you had to have you had to have value to to offer your the, the mentors that they, they were they were teaching you. Is that what you said? Yeah, or at least at least them at, at least uh, at least show them that I'm the kind of guy mm. that is going to be worth their time. Mm. You know, I might not have necessarily been able to create value for them like they could for me, but yeah. any good person or a good man or woman is gonna get excited about a young guy or girl who is, Hey, I really want to learn. And and you know what I mean? Like it's the same for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had an intern, we named my son after one, not an intern, but my apprentice from a couple (laughs) of years, Tobias, we had this young German guy stay with us. And I never in my life seen a young man create so much value for others Mm -hmm. and always, and, and more so than myself, more so than myself when I was his age, that's for sure. Um, always thinking, what can I do? How can I help? Never what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, is it th- those kind of people? I want to help those kinds of people because I yeah. want more of those kinds of people in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth my time to invest in them. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we're still to this day, very inspired by, uh, Toby and that's what we named our son after him. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I, it's exactly what I touched on a point I wanted to, I thought we'd get to a bit later, but I thought, you know, we're there now. I, um, I, I touched on a, a concept of like being a mentor and it's something recently I did an uh, interview um, with Darren Doherty and Joel Salatin together. Oh, great. And we didn't release it yet, but we're coming up next week, I think. And um, we talked about like, we got into this conversation a bit about mentorship and, and the development of a, of a good character was like a big part of the mentoring. It was like yeah. an under, underlining, underlying kind of message uh, in, in a lot of the teaching of the younger generations. And I personally experienced in a talk with Joel previously, after about two hours, I felt like I spent time with an elder and I was like, I was yes. better for it. It was something like underneath what we were talking yes. about. Yeah. I'm, just, uh, I'm curious if like mentoring is something you do consciously yourself like today 
And second yes. of all, is if you if you feel like if you felt like an underlying deeper message surfacing, like in your teachings and, and sharing, is that is that something as you grow wiser? You uh, absolutely, you absolutely. I've taken a number of I've taken a lot of young people under my wing. Um, less so since I've had my kids, uh, mm-hmm. just for time, but. Um, um, but no, in batches, I mean, I've got a, I've got a young guy who is my, my camera assistant when I go and shoot, uh, when I'm, when I'm out on the Eastern seaboard of the United States or Canada, I got a 17 year old guy who's from an intentional community down in Tennessee called Rose Creek village. Mm-hmm. I fly him around and I wow. fly him out in 17 and I, and I, I took, I took him on the road with me twice. I did, uh, I flew him to Denver Colorado and we did a, a series of shoots on a number of regenerative farms um, in kind of in the heartland of the US mm-hmm. uh, and then I flew him to Montreal uh, last summer he did a bunch of touring with me around Quebec and Vermont and uh, you know definitely put some time with with him and uh, I you know when I see when I see potential in somebody um, and and they can fit into my wheelhouse you know absolutely I can do that. I mean, that's important for me as a dad now, you know, more important than ever. Um, but yeah, I mean the whole, it's funny you mentioned Joel too, cause Joel, I I've had the honor to hang out with Joel a few times mm-hmm. and, um, like in the flesh yeah. and, uh, I really, Joel's probably one of my biggest inspirations as yeah. far as, um, a man, a dad, an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, a farmer, an yeah. author, like he's, he, you know, he's, he's the guy, you know, he's, yeah. uh, you know, I think in my opinion, he's the number one guy in this space mm-hmm. and, um, his legacy is absolutely epic and he's, yeah, but, but at the root of it all, he's a really good man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. the guy wears his values on his sleeve. I took a lot of that from him. Mm-hmm. I didn't know him the first time. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, uh, yeah, huge honor to know Joel and, and, and spend some time with him. Mm. I'm really curious if this concept of like individual responsibility is something that's like quite big with you. It's, I feel like it is, but like it also is, yeah. like if it was something that like was early on, always like you were always like that? Or no, it wasn't. I don't, I don't think I really came to that. I mean... Because it sounded like in your early early years, you were kind of like, you, you were kind of battling a little bit with a, a bit, you know, kind of like, I, I wouldn't say like... Um, nihilistic but kind of like the darker kind of you know the, the oh no the question and, about it yeah no question yeah. about it you know um i think really get you know i got into jordan peterson stuff way before he was famous really and uh yeah yeah way really? before he was famous i mean call it three years before he was famous his um, stuff really clarified a lot of stuff for me and i was very curious oh, to ask oh me too him, so. i mean it, it, it was especially i got to meet him too in vancouver oh wow um yeah which was really cool he's a he's a great guy yeah. um but i uh after i read his both of his books maps of meaning and uh 12 rules oh, and is- the maps mean is insane but yeah. but i'm a deep thinker so i kind of like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um but uh 12 rules, you know, he really articulated things that, especially that, what you're talking about, the thing that yeah. the way he put it, that, I, that really made the most sense to me because I really, I read 12 rules right around the time I had my first child, mm-hmm. my daughter. And the thing that he really articulated to me that I embody now is first, you need to take responsibility for yourself. That's the cleaning of your room as they will, <laughs> yeah. you know? So clean your room, sort yourself out. Cause if you can't sort yourself out, you can't help anybody. 
Mm-hmm. Then the next thing is you expand that. It's almost like the zones of permaculture. Yeah. You know what I mean? So at your zone zero is yourself, sort yourself out, get yourself, um, properly fixed so that you can be effective and, and, and useful and helpful in the world and a, and a force for good. And then your zone one is your immediate family. So make sure you're a good father and, or mother, take care of your kids, take care of your wife or your husband. And then now that next zone is extending responsibility to your extended family. Mm. So your, your parents, your brothers and sisters, your cousins and whatever, then that next layer of responsibility is taking responsibility for your community, your immediate mm-hmm. community, your neighbors, the people around you. Next is taking responsibility beyond that. And it goes out infinitely. And so my, my goal in life at, 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 the, at the deepest part of it is to take as much responsibility as I'm able to burden, mm. a, a, that I'm able to carry. And, and part of that responsibility I do through my content work. Um, you know, I, 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 um, you know, right now we're going through some interesting times, you know, yeah, and, and, yeah. Um, and it's, it's been, uh, yeah, your Facebook is quite eclectic, you know, your, your Facebook yeah. feed is quite a, you know, it's on farming. So recently you posted something. The first thing that kind of like twigged me a little bit actually to like, maybe this, uh, Curtis Stone guy, I have to pay a bit more attention was the, you posted a post about Cuba. Yes. So something that constantly comes up with a lot of, from a lot of permaculture circles, you know, Cuba is such a shining example of, you know, in yeah. the beginning it was just farming, which I agree with, you know, in the beginning they had some incredible things there with the urban farming, but then it kind of progressed to, you know, it's a shining example of everything that's good, you know? And it's, uh, no, of, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's communism. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, politically I'm very much like Joel Salatin, mm-hmm. you know, we're both pretty staunch libertarians. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm probably even further that really philosophically, I'd say I'm, I'm an anarchist and, and sort of maybe more practically I'm a liber- I'm a staunch libertarian um but uh yeah i definitely do and you know i've gotten a lot of shit from my community too because Mm -hmm. i don't toe the line like i don't i think climate change is bullshit Mm -hmm. i think communism is bullshit i think political correctness is bullshit you know i i i don't toe the line um with where a lot of people in this space are Mm -hmm. and i just don't i just don't care i'm just like i am who i am and if you don't like it fine I'll live, you know, the, 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 the night I, I'm so, I'm so, uh, I feel so blessed, um, to be where I am. I mean, it's all things I've done myself. None of this has been through accident or, 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 uh, luck in my opinion, I've built my castle, um, is I, I don't need gatekeepers. You know, I'm not a guy who, uh, got known through television or other media. I've mm-hmm. built my stuff. And so I have the, um, I have the fortune of being able to say whatever the hell I want and I can't, people can't just shut the door on me. Mm. You know what I mean? How how celebrities in this day and age get canceled. You know, you get a guy like Dave Chappelle who says something politically correct, incorrect or Ricky Gervais and they get canceled. You know, you can't do that to a guy who's built his own castle. So, so, um, but I'm, I, I, you know, for me, it's always been about the truth. And my, my views have changed since I got into this. You know, I, I, uh, I started because I grew up very, very on the, the – to say right out of the gate, I think the whole left-right political spectrum is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes just for the sake of discussion, it's easier to kind of use, use those references to yeah. convey an idea. But, um, you know, when I started out in this, I would, I would, I would, consider, I would have considered myself quite extreme left-wing because I grew yeah. up – 
I grew up that way. Like my mother was um, a member of the New Democratic Party of Canada, which is the uh, NBC, which mm. is our basically our socialist party, which are they're elected here in British Columbia. And, uh, you know, in that, that whole line of thinking, everybody who has money is bad. Everybody that's poor is a victim, you know, everything's so black and white, um, Mm. which is BS because anybody who's got half a head on their shoulders realize that that's not the way the world is. It's all very complicated and, and, and diverse. And so I, you know, I, when I started actually having some different perspective through my success in business and life, my views changed and I've shared them with people, you know? Um, so, you know, I don't apologize for things that I've said, but I mean, I I've had, I've certainly got the brunt end of absolute hatred for speaking up against things about climate change and speaking mm-hmm. up against things like Cuba or, or, or collectivism or socialism. I've had death threats from people. Wow. I've had absolute hatred from people. I've had people, um, go out of their way to try to take down and sabotage my businesses. Wow. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. It is crazy. Where else would you, where else does that happen? It's, it's, um, did you have any, did you have any experiences of that that you had to deal with? Like, oh, oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, Hey, I'm not giving you a Crimea river story. Like it's all good. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's no, it's no big deal. Like it, I came out of all of it and, um, whatever. But yeah, like some really shitty things have been, uh, people Mm -hmm. have tried to do to me. None of it stopped me. None of it, you know, but, um, it's amazing when you, when you, what happens when you speak your mind. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think, I think so much of that comes from a lot of things that Jordan Peterson talks about, you know, this whole safe space culture, this whole, this whole, um, politically correct movement that has basically sheltered people from truth. And, um, made all of these sort of pampered little brats so fragile that they can't even handle an idea that challenges something that they thought was true their entire lives. And I mean, I've gone through that because I had, like I came into this as a quite extreme left-wing Marxist when I got into farming. I did not believe in capitalism. I got that feeling, yeah. Yeah, and and I wouldn't say I'm the opposite now because I think I might have gone that way, but I think I found more of what's true. You know, there, there are, there's certainly, uh, gr- things that aren't good about capitalism, especially when you dig into what capitalism actually means. But, um, yeah, man, I just, yeah. It's, it's something I, I, I kind of got like that. I, I, I got a bit of a, my own kind of revelation reading Jordan Peterson and diving into that kind of stuff that I, I got this suddenly sense that the left and right is not so much to do with politics. That's like the end thing. It's more like a psychologist, a psychology thing that, you know, yeah. you can be the, like naturally I'm also kind of very left, left wing, not politically, but like psychologically, like to be open, change all the time. Yes. And me too. And, and I, yeah. I, that's what I saw. I saw like in the beginning of your journey, it seemed like you were very on that side. And then it seemed like later on in the recent years, you kind of started to have like a bit more like of a conservative, not politically, I mean, like yeah. psychologically, like a bit more yeah. of a conservative. Yeah. Well, thing. even conservative politically too. And that I don't think the government should pay for everything, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, in the last year, I've learned so much about the government because I've gone down a rabbit hole with reading legal documents. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of, I, I found, I, I, uh, I stumbled across some truth a few years ago uh, when I was farming that opened my eyes to how the system actually is. And I had kind of a Neo in the Matrix moment where I learned some <laughs> things about how things are. And then I, I, imp- I implemented them 
and it made a problem go away immediately with the government. Yeah. And I'm I'm sitting there going like, wow. Yeah, maybe you want to tell shit. us a bit that this experience was it. You had like a, yeah. a bureaucrat come oh. on your phone. Did he actually physically come on your phone? No, and they can't. Uh, but so 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 what happened was, um, so. I don't want to open too much of a can of worms, but, yeah. but whatever. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just tell you for context, and then people can go. Curtis is nuts, or they can go and look into it themselves. Good, yeah, um, I agree. Basically, basically, what I discovered is that Canada is not a real country; it's a corporation, and it all stems from the Hudson's Bay, the Hudson's Bay Charter, which later became the British North America Act. And then, when Queen Victoria died in 1901, uh, that officially ended the Dominion of Canada. So, Canada, much like many countries. Uh, is actually a corporation and it's a corporation to do business and it has a charter just like any other corporation and um, and uh, there is no Canada as far as a landmass. Uh, if you read the Interpretations Act of Canada, it says that Canada is the is the territorial waters and internal waters of the landmass known as Canada. That's more or less what it says. It doesn't say it's the province of BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, it just says that. And so I started to really dig and it wasn't chasing conspiracy theories, though I've certainly done, done that. Uh, but it was, it was, it was reading actual documents. And so one thing I learned about Canada is that if it's a corporation, they're in the business of doing business. And, um, anytime the government comes at you with something, it's an offer in commerce. Mm. So this bureaucrat, um, wanted to come and inspect my farm and uh, through my consulting practice, you know, I'd, I've been consulting for a lot of years. I've seen dozens and dozens of farms go through this exact experience where some bureaucrat from some health inspection agency mm-hmm. emails you or, or writes you a letter and says, we're going to come and inspect your farm and you need to do this and this and this and this. And, this. and they mm-hmm. freak out and they go, oh my God. And they kind of put their hands up and just let them come on their land and let them yeah. write all this paperwork and they sign on the dotted line. And then all of a sudden they, they got to pay $50,000 and they're screwed. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I'd seen that enough through my own practice to, to new, to know that was the course of action. But through my legal research, I, I knew what the proper course of action was, is that if Canada is a corporation and they're, and this guy's pretending to be an agent of Canada through an agency called the, the, the CFIA, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, and that has an act called the Canadian Food Inspection Agency Act, um, which I read and I basically knew what he was coming at me with was an offer to contract. And so basically what I did was I accepted the offer to contract on conditions. So this is just a business negotiation. Mm. So yeah, you can come and inspect my farm, but this is what I'm going to ask in return. So I said, yes, I accept your offer to come and inspect my farm at this date, so on and so forth on these three conditions. First condition is I need a certified true copy of the act that has uh, proof of royal assent because Canada's supposed to be a dominion of the royal the, of the of the uh, British monarchy, and I said I want I want uh, that copy. I want to see that you you say that you're working for uh, the Queen. I want proof of that, uh, or that you're acting under the Queen. I want proof of that. And then I said, second, I want all documentation that shows that you have the ability to act under her majesty in good faith. And I want a copy of your oath 
to the queen. And then third, I said, I want $250 an hour for my time. And you can compensate all my staff $40 an hour for their available time. And then I said, fourthly, you've got 21 days to respond to this address through registered mail. Otherwise, the offer's off the table. And he came back and never saw anything like that in his life. But he obviously had to take it upstairs to probably one of the deputy uh, ministers or something like that, one of the kind of crony deep state that have been there for a long time. And they know the people that have been in the government kind of in the in the back end, the, the, the sort of bureaucratic establishment, they all know that this is true. They, you didn't get any reply from that afterwards? That was it? Oh, yeah. He replied and basically said, I can't give you any of that. Have a nice day. Wow. And that yeah, was that, it. That was exactly, that was the point. I mean, a lot of a lot of what you did say was kind of a little bit over my head, but I mean, I got it. I got it. But the, this specific point was like very interesting for me because I know that's like, a, I mean, also that's something with the up with people that I know before. It's like, a, it's a... It's a sticking point, and I know Joel talks yeah. about it a lot in some of his in some of his books. Yeah, there's a lot of um, you know that kind of stuff. There, there's a lot of remedies out there. You know, there's that's 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 what they would consider a remedy in commerce. Uh, there's remedies you can do in commerce by just learning the rules. Because the thing is that I realized that's quite easy to do if you're looking for solutions with problems w- with like that is just read the damn acts that the, uh, they say they're operating under because mm-hmm. there's so many, there's so much remedy in there. Um, and that, so there's remedy that way. There's also remedy in, uh, using common law because in, in, in the, in the British empire, common law, which stems from the Magna Carta, which is essentially, you know, the golden rule, do no harm, do unto others as you do on yourself has force and effect. And here in British Columbia, there was a proclamation that actually says that British common law has force and effect. So you can use remedy. You can find remedy by using common law and basically saying, I'm not, I'm a man. I'm not a person because a person is a legal entity. So I I was in a court case two weeks ago uh, with a friend of mine just there as a witness. And I watched this guy stand up to the judge and the judge couldn't do a damn thing. And it was, it was amazing to watch. And then there's also remedy using ecclesiastic law, like trusts and things like that, which is more, which is more complicated. But the, the point is, is that there is so many things that we can do um, to find solutions to problems from these cronies that run the world. Um, you just have to educate yourself. And it's amazing how many people don't know anything because it, it's like the way I see it is we all live in this world and just like how, you would have downloaded the latest app for your phone. You probably didn't skim through the entire terms of service. (laughs) And it's the same thing with every single act statute or law that has ever been written for all time. Nobody knows the laws. And (sighs) there's so much, there's so many, there's so many solutions out there. I'm actually as as much as everything seems to be going to hell right now. I actually, I'm very optimistic on, on things because I've been learning so much about the system and, and how we can and better move through it. Do you do feel like the, the current, the, the situation now, like, I mean, not so much about the virus. I'm, I tell you the truth, the coronavirus, I'm not really like, uh, I mean, I'm obviously concerned that some people that don't have good health and they're older and stuff and they're, they can be affected by that. Personally, me yeah. and my, my family, I'm not worried. Not worried but, at all. But, I'm, but, I'm but with just the actual whole situation that surrounds that economically and everything else oh, like that. It feels like an, you had like a very interesting YouTube that you posted that you feel it's like a great opportunity. And I know there's a lot of other people out there that are also like, you know, okay, there's a big opportunity here because to yeah. adapt. And yeah. Then, yeah, it is. It's a big opportunity for farmers right now. I mean, um, there's, it's, 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 it's crazy. You know, I've been, um, 
it's like there's so many conspiracy theories on it too. I don't really know which ones to believe. Uh, I certainly don't believe the media, though. I'll tell you that. Mm. Um, they're all unified pushing this narrative really hard. Um, I think on a on a surface level, for anybody who's relatively awake, um, it's very easy to see that this is just a, such a perfect cover up to um, shift blame for an economic collapse that was already going to happen anyways. And so this is a great way to distract people. And then uh, politicians can blame forces of nature <laughs> opposed mm. to bad policies and greed uh, w- within their ranks. Um, but it's also a great opportunity for the establishment to bring in massive new policies and um, uh, changes in law to bring in the new world order as, as they've been planning for hundreds what, of What years. do you think about opportunities for like for, for people on the ground, particularly people that are in contact with land? With the, with, I mean, well, there's, the yeah, I mean, the, the, this is the greatest opportunity for that because, because we're going to go into hyperinflation. And when, when money loses its value by the hour, um, all that matters is uh, three things, in my opinion. What's in your head? So the skills that you know, the knowledge you have, mm-hmm. um, and the things you've learned in your life, uh, what you can do with your hands, so your mm-hmm. ability to work and use your body to move dirt and, and, and pick up a tool and, and, and get, get into it, and then what's in your heart, uh, the, the social equity that you've built in your community and mm-hmm. um, your network, and, and, and uh, are you a good are you somebody who's a nice person to, to, to be around? Do people want to have you around? Do people want to help you? Uh, that's all that's going to matter. And farmers already have, you know, let's say let's, they already have two of those things for sure. Uh, a good farmer is going to have a lot of skills and yeah. also going to have the ability to do work with their hands. Uh, whether they're a good person or not is up to each individual. But I think farmers have a great opportunity right now because uh, those things are going to be needed. And, um, you know, all these idiots that are running to the grocery store to get toilet paper and hand sanitizer, <laughs> they're going to be the first ones uh, in the bread lines waiting for handouts from the government. Mm. But all the people that are somewhat switched on to the greater picture are going to come together and start to form community networks. Like, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing this right now. I'm building a, I'm building a half-acre farm right now, which is a survivalist farm. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm doing it with a, a small community of people of like of like minded um, values. So that was and, a half uh, acre, Kurdistan. Yeah, yeah, we're developing a half acre farm right now. Like okay. just before I got on the podcast. How many? How many people? Of, how many families is that? Like uh, there's 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 kind of like well there's probably six families, but there's like three parties really involved. Like my group, the the landowners group, and then another uh, family, and. Um, that are managing the fruit trees and uh yeah so we're making it happen and so six, um, six abundant families basically you could you could you could fade from yeah that half yeah and we've got an amazing we've got an amazing skill set i mean i've got guys that are uh, armed to the teeth but also very skilled like i've got guys um that can build anything weld uh, injection mold uh, these guys can <laughs> do anything we can build anything and so mm. we're 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 going for it but i mean yeah in hard times that's that's what matters so i think i think the time to shine for farmers is now mm. um my hope though like you've ever seen the movie hunger games yeah i just, I, I didn't really get into it no okay no. so the concept of hunger games is 
there's this sort of technocratic society of elites that live in cities and they have all the fancy technology, they have all the wealth and they've got flying cars and all this stuff. And then, and then outside of the cities is where all the peasants live. And that's like 99% of everybody. And they all basically live in these agrarian societies. They're basically like hand to mouth farmers with hand tools living off the land. And, um, I really think on a surface level, that's what's happening right now is they're kind of pushing, and this has been going on for a long time. Um, but they're pushing this sort of agrarian society, which on the surface sounds good. And I know I would be a good farmer in that agrarian society, but I hope that I hope that we don't go back to the Middle Ages and then the elites all have the technology and can basically control us because we're all just hand to mouth farmers and uh, you know it's easy to push around hand to mouth farmers like it is. Pushing I, I feel I feel I feel like today there is like an extra element. Though. I mean, from a lot of people that I've learned from, there is like a new kind of cutting cutting edge technology today, and that's like a knowledge of like deep knowledge of how. I mean, in terms of farming, how soil works, and those like very yes. cutting edge technology with the new amendments and 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 uh, and ways to do with compost and things like that. I mean, it's very. There's a lot yeah. of really cutting edge stuff on, 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 on that field that I've seen recently, even like tools. I mean, a lot of the tools that you go through, I mean, that's crazy stuff. The, it is. The green yeah, harvester is. and stuff. I mean, very simple. Oh yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it's great. Like, and when I say hand to mouth farmers, I don't necessarily mean we're like farmers in Kenya with just picks, you know, like yeah. of course we'll have these hand tools and all that. But, but my, my concern, my underlying concern is that, there's something big going on here that's wanting to push us into poverty. And that's one thing that I saw in the environmental movement that made me started to get really suspicious of the whole climate change narrative. And I saw this just through my experience. Cause I, you know, I, I believed that my entire life. And, mm. um, I believed that, that, um, human beings creating carbon was, was the big thing. And I, I'm very concerned with the many environmental issues, uh, more carbon in the atmosphere is certainly not one of them, but, um, I used to think that, you know, we are going to destroy the earth and all this stuff. And then when I, when I saw, and I still kind of believe that in a way it's, it's more nuanced, but when I started to see the environmentalism, the environmentalist movement really start to adopt this narrative of anti-humanism, which is like, but, but the, the earth is better off without us. Yeah. That, that whole thing. Yeah, and very, then this, uh, yeah, very it's, it's dark. It's really yeah. dark. And then, the, and then it really started to, the, 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 the new left, the sort of the social justice left mm. kind of morphed in with environmentalism. And now you've got yeah. these people like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She would be a perfect example of somebody I think is like really misdirected. I don't think she's involved in any conspiracy. I think she's just being guided by people that know way more than she does. But when I started to see that whole movement come up and it's this anti-humanist thing it's very pro-abortion which i find really weird um it's very um anti-energy and it's very pro-poverty and that's where you know my criticism of cuba on that pace that you on that post that you mentioned kind of was echoing a bit of what i saw there and that this sort of new green movement likes to glorify subsistence farming mm. and poor and being poor. Mm. And, and I, the way I see that is that that's the elites kind of seeding. They're kind of planting 
what they want us to manifest ourselves. It's this, the tiny house movement. It's all of that. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that stuff. Yeah, like, I think it's yeah. all great. Um, it, it's just that it works really good for them because you know that these assholes aren't, are going to, they're not going to stop flying private jets and living in massive mansions and, and consuming a, a million times more resources than any of us. They just don't want us to consume those resources. So guys like Al Gore and David Suzuki love to love to fly private around the world and tell everybody how they need to cut their emissions. Meanwhile, these guys forget about it. They're not even going to even consider that because they're too important. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's capitalism and freedom for the classes and socialism and subsistent living for the masses. It's something I've, uh, it's something that I, I, I like biologically on a biological level. It's something that's come up many times with my guests that are subjects, uh, usually like a question that asks surrounding this, that because there is like very uh, strong movement on, we talked about the extreme edge now of like, is, is it, uh, our human beings like a separate thing from nature? And we're just like, uh, like basically like a pain in the ass of nature, or are we actually like something, you know, that, that, uh, that can do good. And I, yeah, I, I've no. always found it very refreshing from people like Joel Salatin and, you know, the Darren Doherty, all these kind of people in regenerative farming movement that it, it like shows that it, the essential quality of a human being is someone that actually has the potential, okay, to be very, very destructive as well, but also actually to do to accelerate like you yes. know for instance succession in nature yes like in a way better than it would be if we just left it to its own devices absolutely like i know i know that joel and i are on the same page with this i can't speak to darren because I, I have met darren a couple times but i haven't had the deep philosophical conversations with darren as i have with joel i've really had the opportunity to go down the rabbit hole with joel which has been amazing we just talk philosophy and stuff and um i believe we are nature i believe we are we are the absolute embodiment of nature. And this is, this is what, where I saw the environmentalist movement start to get away from where I felt yeah. in my deepest core is that yeah. they're saying that human beings are a virus yeah. to nature. And this is, this is a trick in my opinion, because the, the, the new world order movement, all these cronies, they are, this it's this transhumanist movement now it's it's let's let's get people away from their true nature and i think that's where the transgender stuff in, it fits into that too and mm-hmm. and all of this compartmentalization of oh are you one of the 76 genders there are now it's mm-hmm. like it's like they've played this trick and they've just let they just they just guide our hand they don't they don't force it on us they just guide our hand and they subsidize certain ideas so that those ideas envelop and people just make this shit up but They've got all this be- these all these beautiful ways to compartmentalize us into all these little boxes, and so it's like, oh, you make over hundred thousand dollars a year. Okay, you're in this box. You're a white man. You're in this box. You're a brown female. You're in this box, and and and, and that's all by design. Like political correctness was the most absolute brilliant mechanism to cause to to help the strife that is happening today. And there's all this infighting. With all those other people, when all we really need to do is realize that there's there's about eight thousand people in the world that rule the world. That's literally it, and everybody else is mostly a good good people. Good people doesn't matter what you are, where you're from, doesn't matter any of that shit. All that matters is that there is this tiny little group of elite that want everything for themselves, nothing for us, and they want us to pay for it. They want us to pay for things that are rightfully ours. 
and and it makes me sick. And, you know, you know and what this whole said? thing is accelerating this. I think there is a I think there's a powerful uh, um, like a there's a strong personal individual power that people have in that concept that we said before. And I'm sure Joel echoes that, 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 um, as, as part of nature, but also something a little bit like separate from nature, because you have the ability to like, you know, to play with it like that. We have like the, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a divinity, you know, we have like kind of a, as human beings, like kind of a divinity about us. I and I that. feel that that power that we have is something very, very, uh, it's very powerful. It's a very, it's a very, it's a strong, it's a strong movement. I don't think you can suppress that as a, it's kind of like ground, you know, you can disturb ground, but eventually it's going to start, the weeds are going to come back. It'll come back yeah. with thorns if you keep stripping it off, but eventually Absolutely. it's going to, it's going to bust well, and, out. And, and they, and they, and they do that. And, and they've been doing this for hundreds of years. And, 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 and the more I've started to research the laws and read the Bible and things like this, the more, and, and I'm not religious, um, but I, I, I guess I am quite spiritual as far as mm-hmm. how I find meaning in the world. Uh, Jordan Peterson once said, um, I might not be religious, but I act as if God is real. Yeah. yeah. And, and that I, I really resonated with like that, but I think I do believe in that. I do believe that we're divine. You know, when you have a, when you see a child born, it's hard not to, to feel that way. I delivered both my kids and that was the most, um, transcendent experience i've ever wow. had in my life yeah. and uh and so i i, I do feel a, a, a high connection to the divinity but the thing is that's interesting is that you know when you read genesis in the bible it talks about man and woman it talks about god giving man and woman di- uh, uh dominion over yeah. land and there's a reason every courtroom in the world has a bible in it at least in the yeah. western world i don't know what it's like in israel it maybe it's the torah that's in a courtroom or it, well, that's it, actually the basis of, of the of the of the western world is that, i mean western the world is western the bible the Torahs, and the, yeah yeah and so the um but the thing that's interesting when you start to read laws is that so in the bible it refers to man and woman and that 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 language and those words are very carefully chosen man and woman it isn't person it isn't people it isn't human it's man and woman as divine creations of the creator and when you read laws you will never read an act statute or ordinance that refers to man or woman every law refers to this thing called a person or a thing called a citizen, or a thing called a resident. And all of those in law are actually considered things Mm -hmm. because the legal world, the statute law world, which all stems from the Holy Roman Empire, is can only deal with things like corporations. And so we've all accepted the fact that, or it's not a fact, but we've all accepted truth that we are this person. So, you know, this birth certificate you have with your all capital letters name i'm sure it's the same in israel that that is you but it's not you that's a legal fiction created by them to be a vehicle for you and the moment and when you when you accept that that's what it is then you get locked into their rules but this is partly of what i started to realize with things that i've been learning about the law and when i was in the courtroom two weeks ago with my friend he was standing there as a man he wasn't standing there as a person and the judge couldn't get him on anything. And this judge tried to dance circles around him and tried to trick him through words, but he couldn't trick him. And he basically couldn't do anything. And they basically just kicked the whole, they just threw the whole, the whole case out because they couldn't get him. They couldn't trick him. And this whole thing is just a bunch of trickery. And I, I think 
I'm really, I'm still trying to find, find how I fit into all this, but I think there's a real synergy between the regenerative agriculture movement, what you're talking about, the divinity of, of man and woman and, and our spiritual nature, as well as how we fit into the legal system as we know it. And I think we need to start waking up and realizing that we aren't persons and residents or citizens. We are children of God. Yeah. And our our purpose and our place is on the land. And if we want to have a truly equitable and sustainable society, we need to be on the land, not pushed into cities, living in 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 basically caged animal feeding operations. Like like I like to compare it industrial agriculture to regenerative agriculture. You know, in a in a caged animal feeding operation, a CAFO as they call it, you got to keep those animals drugged up with anti with uh, with uh, steroids, vaccinations, antiseptics, all this shit because animals don't live that way. It's a lot like what Salton talks about, you know, the pig being the pig and living mm. out its its experience as the pig. We need to realize that as as men and women the more that we're on the land, the more we're connected to that natural divinity and that natural sustenance that keeps us healthy and connected to one another. Mm. Yeah, so, something really interesting I, I wanted to share is that um, in, uh, in, the, in the Torah, which is, as you know, it's like that's the oldest, that's, that came before the, the Bible, the English translation, a lot, most people you know, in Western world read. Um, in there is something very interesting when, when Noah, the Noah the, with the flood and everything, there was the first like laws that were kind of passed and every, it was like very basic laws, seven laws, you know, don't kill, don't steal, all those kind of basic laws. But the funny thing is one of those laws was you must establish um, like a judicial system. You have to have laws, like actually like there's, the, you know, so it's, it's like a funny thing that like that's actually part of like the, the, the divinity, not really so much the laws you're talking about, like on the, the dark side, you could say, you know, but actually yeah. like uh, there, there is, it's, it's not just be a monkey. Yeah. There's something else to do there that like, there's like, it's like a higher, a uh, higher calling. You know? uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I feel that calling more than ever now uh, with what's going on in the world, as well as my uh, connection to my children and, 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 and seeing them grow and wanting them to be as resilient or anti-fragile as, as possible. Uh, especially as we live in this super fragile world. Like we got all these people freaking out about a, a flu. You know, it's like, um, hey guys, we've been getting these things forever. Um, if you're good and healthy, this shouldn't. This probably is not an issue. Now, I don't, I don't want to come out and and totally demean um, that there are some serious cases of this going around. But I just, I just look at the hype, and I mean, I just so much of this just comes down to fragility. You know, we we have been for the most part domesticated animals. That whole system is is set us up to be domesticated animals. I, I feel also that I feel also around. that Curtis, we have like quite a um a, a lot of the time. It's something I talk a lot about on the show that like because eco IQ, it's all about connection, and I feel like a lot of the time the the, the main thing uh, like our platform is trying to do is to remind people that the most uh, uh, critical point is to become connected again. And, yes. the, and the, funnily enough, the, I find I've found like I've thought about it a lot, and I found the most effective place to get connected back to nature is actually farming, because Absolutely. when you have the limits and boundaries of business, and you've actually got to like you've got to get to the bottom line, and to yep. do that, the best way is to connect to nature and you know have it harmonious with nature, especially when it's bigger scale, like what Richard Perkins is doing or something like that. Yeah. You've well, to, I, I, yeah. You, you, you I, I, in my experience, you can find that in in 
any level really i so mean that's what i'm curious about your experience like how how you kind of like that's what i'd like to like to go into a little bit now is yeah. just like your connect that connection to nature and I, I what i'd really like to do is actually start with like with your tree planting because that's something i had a lot of yeah, experience right. I did about three seasons oh really i don't know how you many did but three was like a lot for me it's like three yeah, months i did long. nine Yes. Yeah, I did nine years. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I was in the middle of winter. It was freezing cold. And where, just where, like, where were you planting? I was planting in Australia, in the southwest in Australia. Of Australia. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. And it yeah. was just full on. Like, it was probably one of the most hardcore, one of the most hardcore experiences I ever had. It's just, oh, yeah. I was soaking wet, freezing cold. And oh, just, yeah. The crack That's of what, dawn and, you know, coming oh, back. Yeah. And I, I'm just curious what your, for me, it was transformational, really. I remember, like, a few experiences. I'm curious, oh, like, yeah. how, if that, like, really, like, if those kind of experiences something that, like, linked you to... It did. It did. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was actually my discovery. Because, I, for the most part, my life was quite suburban. And then I moved to Montreal, which is quite a, you know, metropolitan European-style city. Uh, and I spent 10 years there. And um, um, I funded my music career in Montreal by going back and planting trees in, in the, in the bush in British Columbia. And I did, I planted in Quebec and Ontario a little bit too, or in Alberta. Um, but um, you were planting pines. Yeah. Pine, spruce, cedar, uh, you know, fir, um, you had like, you were planting, you were planting with a shovel or you were planting with the, yeah, we plant with fungos. Yeah, no, we don't use those because the tree planting in British Columbia is a lot more technical because they can't log the forest the same way because yeah. they're all hilly. Yeah. And so the, tr- the it's harder tree planting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's but it's great. I mean, I, I certainly those those was it nine years were probably the wow, most formative crazy. nine years of my life because mm-hmm. I learned how to work hard. Yeah. And uh, you get paid by the tree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, when I first, <laughs> my first year of tree planting was depressing. I think I actually lost money. Like it was, <laughs> I, I basically came out of it with nothing because I would, you know, make $25 in a day and just suffer, you know, but I, I be, three years in, I became quite good. I, I became one of the top planters in my crew wherever I went. And uh, I, it was neat because I learned a little bit of entrepreneurialism there too, because it, not only do you make what you put in the ground, but a really good tree planter in Canada can essentially be a free agent and you can mm. basically just go and knock on the door of any company you want to work yeah. for and they'll hire you. Yes. Yeah, the same as and Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I became a free agent. I be, what they call us high ballers. So I became one of these high baller guys that I could just kind of go wherever I wanted to. So mm. I just, I started to kind of get an ear to the ground of what companies were, at what places at each time of the year. And I basically just plotted out my season and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start tree planting in January up on the Northern coast of British Columbia, of Vancouver Island. And then I'm going to work my way down to the Southern interior. And then I'm going to end up in the East Kootenai. And so I, and I, and I would work with three or four different companies on that whole way, but I could basically just show up and they would hire me because I was the kind of guy that could get out there and I could make five, 500 to 700 bucks a day because uh, I was one of the top planters. So I was always in the top, at least in the top tens. In some places, I was in the top three. And, you know, we got a lot of special privileges. We'd get the best hotel rooms. You know, they would they would fly us in helicopters. We'd do these special missions where they would take the best three planters and have a helicopter fly just those three guys up to the top of a mountain to plant a cut block where there was no supervision and know that those guys could get that job done and it wouldn't have to be checked and they could just fly him back. So mm-hmm. they, you know, they, they would spend $2,000 on a helicopter flight up 
drop you guys off in some sketchy the helicopter would bounce on a log and then you would jump out one by one and then the helicopter would come back and drop a big cache of trees for you you'd be up there in the in the bush with nobody else but the three of you for the entire day sometimes there was bears like mm. it was it was amazing experience I, I i so look back on those years uh with a lot of good memories so and, you were in the, uh, you spent like time you had quite a lot of time in wilderness areas then or it was just like oh, just full you on wilderness there. oh and mm. remote you know like i mean yeah. i mean you you would be camping you 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 would be camped with your crew you i i always stayed with crews that um did hotels cuz i i didn't like camping especially when working it was just <laughs> yeah. cold, sleeping in a cold tent it was brutal i did it in yeah. my formative years of it but later i learned that uh, it's way better to stay with crews that stay in hotels. But yeah, like remote little towns, you know, like yeah, uh, Port Hardy, British Columbia, you know, tiny population staying in some tiny hotel in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You get up at five in the morning with your crew. You're on two hour drive out to the cut block there. You're loading up trees and going into the bush or some of you are getting on a helicopter and then flying out. It, it, was, it was fun. It was, it was really fun. <laughs> but man, absolutely grueling. You know, like yeah. you learn man against nature you know like it's (laughs) you know like you said cold and wet and um you know it was yeah but by the time i started my farm i mean the the work in a way was kind of easy because i was like man i've been grinding it with tree planting for the last 10 years nine years and you know but I'm, I'm I'm curious to take that now to the to the point where you did your 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 bike tour because something i noticed when you do tree planting is the walking because yes. you walk, we, I forgot how many steps, it was a long time ago, but we, like, I had, we had guys that worked out how many steps and how many kilometers you walk a day. And it's, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of walking and it's yeah. nonstop. And you, yeah. your body, once your body every day after day gets into this rhythm, you kind of like get, I felt I got onto a different frequency at all. And when I come into the, back into the city or whatever, I just, uh, I, I feel like I can move much better, you know, like yeah. confidence with my body. And when you, yeah. you uh, just explain to your listeners, you had like a, Obviously, that must have been transformational, but I don't know if it was the end of your, your last season or before you decided that was the last season, you, you decided to do an epic bike tour that was like 3,000-odd kilometers yeah. um, from, for, to, 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 from one side, from the kind of center to, to the Tijuana, west coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah I went down I, the whole west coast, yeah. And so that, that, how long was that? That was a couple of weeks? Well, I spent, no, I spent two and a half months doing the trip. I mean, so, you know, that wasn't straight riding. I was stopping along the way and, you know... W- what what I wanted to do at that time is I wanted to immerse myself in farming possibilities. So I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about agriculture at all. Like I mm-hmm. read some books, you know, I, um, <laughs> I really got into earth ships. That was like one of the first things, you know, I'd read, I'd read Bill Mollison's um, introduction to permaculture. I still have the copy today. It's probably 15 years old. One of the first <laughs> books I read. And then I read uh, Toby Hemingway's guy's garden. Those are two of my first inspirational books. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then I bought the, the yeah, and I hit the road and I was leaving Montreal and I didn't really know what I was going to do. Like I knew my music career was over. I was, I was tired of it. This was in 2008. And, um, I just said, you know, I want to find a way to create value without anything. Cause I, I had no money. Like my family had, my family's poor or like say, lo, you know, lower middle class, Mm-hmm. My dad may be middle, middle class. Um, but um, I didn't have any anything uh, but but my own body and my will, you know? And so so I said, well, I'm, I'm going to learn. I'm going to teach myself about farming. So I'm going to spend a year just kind of like in study. And so I, 
I did enough tree planting that year that I had $14,000 saved cash. Mm-hmm. And I still had student debt and stuff like that at a time that I was paying monthly, but, but I had that cash. Yeah. And then I said, okay, well, I'm just going to go to the place. I'm going to just do a bike tour. Cause I've always wanted to do that. I've been a big cyclist my entire life. You know, I, when I'm in Montreal, I biked all winter and quite a hardcore cyclist. And I, I met a couple guys that did a bike tours in the U S and just said it was an amazing experience. I thought, you know what, that just sounds so cool. Maybe I'll do that and I'll go woofing. So do you, you know what woofing is? It's yeah, that, yeah, it's sure. that, yeah. yeah. So I bought, I bought the I, organic farms. Exactly. So I yeah. bought the, 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 the Canadian and American woofer guide. Yeah. And I said, you know, uh, I'm going to plan a big tour. Originally, the tour was I was going to go down the entire West Coast. So I left from Kelowna, British Columbia, which is about uh, 200 kilometers from the U.S. border from where I sit here. So ride straight south through through Washington State. Then I'm going to hit the Columbia River. I'm going to go straight uh, west to the coast. I'm going to take the coast all the way down. And then I was going to ride across and go basically through Arizona and New Mexico and Texas. I was at the time I was going to just woof all the way across and I was going to end up in new Orleans. Cause at the time that was, there was still all that disaster relief going through uh, Hur- hurricane Katrina. Yeah. So my plan at that time was to go and volunteer in the relief effort there um, and just learn some skills along the way. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I ended in Tijuana because by the time I got through, I visited a number of farms along the way and I stayed some of the, like one place I stayed for two weeks and, um, I was just super inspired, man. I mean, I didn't really learn a lot about farming. I did. I learned, <laughs> I learned some basic stuff. I learned yeah. some basic things about soil, probably nothing more that I could have figured out online really. But you but, saw good models. Yeah. I saw good models and more of what I learned is that human, you know, we are divine. I didn't realize then how divine we were. I think mm-hmm. I got an inkling of it then, but I realized how powerful the, the human spirit is mm-hmm. because, and I just saw that. I really, I really believe that we're mirrors that we see ourselves in others. Mm-hmm. And I really learned through that trip because it was an absolute serendipitous trip, like just beautiful people, beautiful experiences, you know, a, a few sketchy experiences, but, but for the most part, like really, really good. Um, and by the time I got to San Diego, I was just staying at a hostel there. I was just like, man, I'm just so excited to go back home and do something now. Cause I'm just like fully charged. Um, I've learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about the world and I'm really just ready to go back and just make a difference. And so that's mm-hmm. when I came back and I started the, the pedal powered urban farm and mm-hmm. kind of green city acres. Is, is how, did, how did you, I'm curious how you felt when you, when you actually like the point, can you remember the point where you made the decision? Like now I'm going to do this. I don't know if it was like before you went back home or if it was when you just got back on, like you it kind of formed a plan mm-hmm. in your mind, how, how you uh, felt for, when you for made the, the farm, decision. for the farm, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. The first kind of inklings of actual <laughs> plan. Well, there would have been a decision there. There would have been a strong decision, like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like, yeah, there was. You know, it was like I, I, I saw little models here and there. Um, when I came back, yeah, like even even that moment when I left San Diego, like I rode to Tijuana for the day just to say I did it, because so that I say I, you know, I crossed two borders. <laughs> yeah. um, but I was staying in San Diego at the time. Um, I stayed at that hostel for about four or five days to kind of just hang out and kind of, ah, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants and figuring it out. I remember it was like the fourth or fifth day. I was kind of like 
I'm ready to do something, but I don't exactly know what it is, but I know that I can do anything mm-hmm. and I'm ready to get really involved in agriculture. Cause I knew that my heart was there. I knew that I had, there was something in me that was in my genetics was a farmer. And I actually later discovered that my great grandfather was a really good farmer. Mm-hmm. He was a really, you know, uh, in the great depression, uh, was a really, really good farmer. And, uh, maybe it was something to do with that, but I felt something that, that I had to do that. And so I came back and basically what I said was, okay, I'm going to take the train back home and that'll give me time to unpack. Cause it was, the train took me, I think it was like two and a half or three days. Psychologically um, to unpack. Yeah. Like I didn't want to yeah. fly. Um, yeah, I, I was also totally really like, that. Yeah. also at the time was still really like ideologically possessed with this idea <laughs> of carbon. <laughs> exactly. I'm not anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't think carbon is a bad thing, but, but I, but I was at the time, but I'm glad I did take the train back because it, it gave me two and a half, three days to unpack and yeah. think and watch the landscape change. Cause wow. that was the amazing thing about the bike tour to see the landscape and flora and fauna and the ecology of a bioregion change as you move wow. at the human level. Mm-hmm. It is quite a transcendent experience. And I hope that my children and many people can do that at some point in their life because there's mm-hmm. something about that. But I, I felt like taking the train back home was kind of the next closest thing that I could kind of unpack and watch my journey rewind mm-hmm. as I wow. go back and kind of wow. think about what happened and where my place was in all of this. And then I went back to Kelowna and it pretty much happened pretty quick. I connected with a guy named uh, Paul Hefner Hummy who was uh, running an urban uh, pedal powered urban farm in Nelson, British Columbia. And uh, I saw some stories of him and I just reached out to him and I was like, and I, I just phoned him. I was like, Hey dad, like, <laughs> Hey, you don't know me. I'm, I'm Curtis. I love what you're doing, man. I, and I'm like, can I, you know, can I bother you for 10 minutes? And and we kind of became friends and then we actually had multiple phone conversations. He, he gave his time to me for free, you know, forever grateful for him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's when I realized like, yeah, I can do this. Like this guy's doing it in Nelson. It's really hilly in Nelson. I don't know. Like Kelowna is pretty flat. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it because it's a cheap way to get started. It, it aligns with my values. I really felt like I, I, I was so in shape when I did that bike tour. I wanted to keep that sort of same mm-hmm. level of physical, um, uh, assertiveness with my body and yeah that's kind of where it started mm. you must have like a high high energy at that point so it's like it oh i was fully charged dude i mean it did it did <laughs> i mean and, and i re- i realize in it, it as i get older i'm 40 now you know i was i was uh i wasn't even 30 when i was starting this i was i think i was 28 29 um my, you know it, things change right and so yeah um i wouldn't do it again that way i just don't think it's sustainable as far as <laughs> It was just crazy because I was I was spending like five hours a day riding a bike when yeah. that time could have been could have been better spent on the farm, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I'm so, really I'm really curious about the the entrepreneurial side though because like your your uh, what you do your work is quite different to I mean you know some of the, like like someone like I interviewed recently with Richard Perkins and they kind of set out part of their context was really strong was like okay teaching and educating we're like setting up something to teach and educate it's a demonstration it's also a business he's a good businessman but like that was and something unique in what your context that i started to look like it started to seem to me correct me if i'm wrong is it's very much based entrepreneurship 
like 100%. a business and and uh, that 100%. really like i really resonated with that and i liked it yeah. like, that's your main focus but it seemed like as as you went on organically partly the fact you're urban and partly because of your character people start asking you started talking and it started developed like so obviously that's something that you just developed naturally that you're starting to like teach people no it wasn't natural i i, I said maybe that as well i set out to do it i mean i i don't know how to be honest i don't know if i had any natural ability with any of this because honestly dude i was a fuck up for most of my life <laughs> i really was i i i I was, um, I was an absolute mess, uh, in high school. And before that I was a problem child. I was diagnosed with, um, ADHD. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank God my parents never put me on medication. Um, but I was, I was a bona fide problem child. I was violent. I was, I was irrational. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I read some books. My dad went through a transformation when I was about, uh, 18 or 19, just around the time I was getting out of high school, my dad went through a transformation because he was a recovering alcoholic and, mm-hmm. and kind of like born again Christian. And, um, he, re- his transition kind of caught me at the right time where he, my dad has it far from figured out, but, but there was some eternal wisdom in him that, um, he shared with me that I think put me on the right track at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a book that he suggested I read back then. What was, that was called, um, you can't afford the luxury of a negative thought. I forget oh. what the author was, but that Sounds book good. really started to transform my thinking from a, from a, from a first principles basis. Mm-hmm. And then once I kind of understood those first principles that you can manifest your thoughts and the world is essentially just your thoughts wow. that set me on the right track. But I, I, I was still, many years from there, yeah, not on the right yeah. track, but I had that stuff in the back of my mind that I knew cause I got really mixed up with drugs. You know, when I, when I went to Montreal, um, and, uh, you know, I got, I got background. Yeah, I was in the background, but I got mixed wow. up with drugs. Like I got really into cocaine and stuff and it was really bad for a number of years. Uh, I was lost. Um, and a lot of that had to do with, with sort of unresolved things with my father, mm-hmm. um, that later, you know, later I resolved, um, and have come back around with, but, uh, yeah, it, it set me on the right track. And then my first year in business, my dad basically said to me, you know, you really need to rook, read a book called, um, how to win friends and influence people by, uh, <laughs> by Dale Carnegie. And that, yeah. that probably was the most seminal important text that I had read. Um, mm-hmm. because that really made me put it in perspective because of so much of my life, I was selfish mm-hmm. and, and I still struggle with that. You know, I have to catch myself being selfish with my time, uh, that, that, that now as a family guy is, is, is more important than ever. Yeah, you know? That's, that's uh, a, that's children. a steep learning curve over there. Oh, it really is. And it, it's still, you know, I still struggle with that. Um, we got five at home. My so wife's got exactly a remind Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, for sure. Yeah. My, my wife has to remind me of these things on a daily basis almost. Wow. Um, wow. but, um, yeah, that, and then, yeah, d- definitely, you know, uh, think, uh, uh, think and grow rich, uh, yeah, Napoleon Hill book. was a really yeah, important book. book. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, yeah. And then just mindset stuff and, and really actually, you know, finding Jordan Peterson's work. Um, I really started to get into his stuff, watching his, just use YouTube clips. Like I think it was like 2015 or something like that. So wait, this was, to- this was the beginning of your, your foray into after the bike, bike tour and your first like, Oh year yeah. Of, by, of, at uh, this, this point, like I, I, year. I, 
I skipped many years. <laughs> get, okay. get into where Jordan Peterson influenced my life was many years in. I mean, Napoleon um, Hill. When you started getting into the into the positive mind, I mean, I, positive. Yeah, that, that stuff. It, I, this kind of yeah, I started getting into that into my second and third year of farming. Really okay. getting into that mindset okay. stuff. Um, I had some principles of it in my first year because I, I, I read, I did read how to win friends, win friends and influence people. My yeah. first year of farming, that was instrumental in changing my mindset onto okay, I want to build rapport with people. Mm-hmm. And I can't, people won't like me if I'm just an arrogant little shit talking in my <laughs> mouth and thinking that I know everything. Yeah. And, and so it was kind of coming in being more humble. How do I add value? How do I, you mm-hmm. know, build a network? Uh, and then I read Think and Grow Rich a number of, probably three years later. And that really made me think different and bigger picture and and and, and, and setting bigger goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh yeah, it's really curious that you said about <laughs> about, your, about your father because like I, I I feel that it was like you know there was work you know heavy like hard work over there but also it sounds like you've got there was a lot of like strong wisdom that came out of the same place you know that's like the the, the polarity sounded strong over there which is usually which is very usual for our fathers it's a uh, it is especially for men you know like yeah, we all exactly. men men always have there's going to be a time in your life where you're going to have to face your father. It's the sort of the Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, you know, (laughs) moment, whatever it is. Well, and for better or worse, whether your dad is a really good guy or, 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 or not, or somewhere in between. My dad wasn't a bad guy. My, it was somewhere in between. My dad had his own struggles, uh, but you know, my dad is a good guy and and always did right for us as best as he could. But there, you know, there's issues, right? And, and I didn't really resolve those things until I was in my early thirties, Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I had that, then the rest of it in my life kind of un- started to unwind and who I am, uh, who I was born as, who I am now and, and kind of how I fit into the greater picture of all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's in- really interesting for me when you, I heard in a recent interview, you said like, you know, you, you mentioned that you don't farm any, I mean, on the ground, you don't, have yeah. a, you don't hold a farm anymore. Yeah. rental or, or owned i mean obviously you've got your other projects like the half acre you're talking about you're in there but i mean you that's not your business anymore and you more mm. describe yourself as like i think it was a farming journalist i guess yeah i mean i don't know what i i mean it's crazy <laughs> i mean I, I i'm still in not sure what you do now uh, yeah i mean i mean i'm entrenched in agriculture i'm i'm yeah. the i'm the um tools what's my title so i own a company called modern grower with diego fooder yeah. So we own a tools company. We started selling paper pot transplanters and now we actually create our own tools. So we've got, I've been for the last year, I have been kind of the project leader on this tools company. So I have two guys that work for me full time here in Kelowna that basically are my engineers and they, they design, I come up with cool uh, tool concepts and they basically make them. And then we, we do, we go back and forth on drawings, we go implementation, R and D, all this kind of stuff. And then I'm also kind of the marketing director for modern grower, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and then we've done pretty, that company is doing pretty well. We're selling lots of tools and it's going great. Um, and then I'm, I have the urban farming, the urban farmer holdings, which is basically everything that I run uh, with all my publishing, my YouTube, um, and then my my uh, my public speaking and stuff like that, consulting I all do through that company. And then I have uh, from the field TV, which is a membership yeah. site that I started uh, January twenty nineteen. Best best career mover I ever made in my life was to go that way. Uh, it's really it changed my whole life because 
um, I was getting tired. Like I was grinding, like, even though I was farming and doing all that, I was going, I was on the road for years. Like, and Joel Salatin still does this. I don't know how he does it. I mean, maybe it's because he's semi-retired and he doesn't have little babies to feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, but that was a challenge for me is like, you know, I was on this crazy public speaking circuit where I was on a flight two to four times a month, 12 wow. times a year, it's 12 crazy. months of the year. It was crazy. Um, and it wasn't until I, my last year in farming where I was basically doing it 12 months of the year, but when I was farming full time, I was basically on the farm for four to six months. And then as soon as it was October, I was on flights. Like I was just going places, speaking at conferences, flying for consulting gigs, flying for speaking gigs, whatever. Um, it was just crazy. And like, I just got to a point where I was like, man, I cannot maintain this level um, of activity, especially because when you, when you travel as a public speaker, you're on their time yeah. and that's, that's challenging because it's, it's exhausting, you know, and I'm an extroverted guy. I kind of feed off people's energy, but, but I just crash and I would often get sick uh, coming back from trips. And I was like, this isn't sustainable, but I met a couple entrepreneurs. I was invited to uh, a gathering with some, some men, uh, some, some, some guys that were really successful entrepreneurs. I'm like, the, I'm like, the Small the young guy. not necessarily the youngest guy but like sort of the low on the lowest totem of the okay. success of these entrepreneurs i was invited to a gathering of some of these guys and um i started changing my friend circles in the last few years mm-hmm. it made a massive <laughs> difference wow. in my life but but i was invited to this gathering and i met these two brothers adam and matthew who are actually now my business partners but i yeah. met them at the time and they're friends with gary vaynerchuk these guys know like these guys are epic dude, epic yeah. entrepreneurs huge entrepreneurs international and um they were looking at my stuff and really just nice guys and just really like I, i'd never hung around with somebody people that were so successful but so interested in me you know usually when i go to hang out with really successful men i'm willing to just kind of sit there and listen and just kind yeah. of be a fly on a wall and, and not not try to overpower the group or anything like that you know but these guys were really interested in me and they said, you know, dude, um, you should start a membership site. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I never really thought about that. And they're like, cause mm-hmm. you know, these guys had been involved in the internet and content and building internet communities from the early, early days. When was this they, Curtis? I just get an idea of time. This, yeah. Like this, two was years ago? O- this was two, this, yeah, this was, this was October, 18. um, October, 2018. Yeah. This mm-hmm. was October, 2018, no, mm-hmm. November, 2018. And, um, and I was like, wow, that's that. I mean, I left that hangout with them. I, I hung out we went, we were out at another, we moved around, we hanging around for the evening, really talking to these guys. And then the next day I took action the next day. <laughs> I, love I, call, that, I, 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 I called my web guy and I said, Drake, uh, I want to build a member, a membership website. Um, let's, I did some research into what I should do. Uh, I basically took action and then I launched it in January and crushed it. Like, you know, we, we got, you know, 1500 people in there paying, you know, at the time, 49 bucks a year. Um, we have a lot more people in there now and the price has gone up, but basically crushed it and then, and then grew it over, over January, uh, or up until, you know, it was October the Torn brothers reached out to me again. Cause we kind of, we, we would text each other back and forth, kind of became friends. I'd hung out with, with one of them who lives in Kelowna, Matthew, a number of times. And, and then, uh, they approached me and said, you know, like, 
Curtis, like we just are so impressed that you, like you are in the 1% of yeah, people. Jumped and did it. I jumped and did it. They're like, yeah. you know, it's so rare that people hear an idea and then take action. You took idea and they, and they were so impressed what I built. Yeah. And they were like, you know, we would be interested in helping you like really scale this. Wow. And, and, and so, okay, let's, let's have a conversation. And we, we negotiated for four months, but now I have this amazing team behind me now. Um, the, the Torn brothers with our other, with our marketing guy, Ricky, who's in Australia, he's in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And so now I've got this like power team behind me. We've got a wow. whole customer service department and all this. Specifically from the field. Not that specific it, yeah. Project. What, what they, they've come in as partners in the urban farmer holdings, which is my main. Uh-huh. So they've come in okay. as partners to help me manage everything. Like, public speaking, everything. They're, they're not involved mm-hmm. in my tools enterprise. That's, that's something different, but they're involved okay. in all of like the public uh, urban farmer. And so they're helping right now. They're helping me scale from the field. So we've got it. We just launched it on a new platform. It's called from the field.tv. It looks kind of like Netflix. It's black. It has its own app. The app will be out shortly, uh, but we just moved all the members over to from the field.tv. And um, then they're helping me scale my online courses. So we've been We've been building up my microgreens online course. Like I've just, I just came back two weeks ago shooting a bunch of different growers in Calgary and Toronto. So I'm adding a bunch of new content to it. And so we're about to relaunch that. And so they're coming in as a big marketing push and then managing the community. And so it's just been amazing working with these guys because all I have to do now is focus on creating content. Mm, and wow. Everything it's else. a good, so, good position. Oh, it's amazing. Anything on the back end, emails, like wow. anything. That's all wow, wow. them. I'm so jealous. it's just, wow. oh, it's been incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, so now now it's kind of like, is it? correct me if I'm wrong, you've kind of got, like, got two kind of brands running. Is that right? You've got the, the urban farming and then you've got like from the field, which is more, it sounds more yeah, tactical I mean, the or something. Ur- it, well, yeah, from the, I mean, cause like I'm no longer really the urban farmer. Yeah. That's I, what I'm, I mean, that's I, what I, I wanted I mean, to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got my book out there, right. I've got yeah. 800 YouTube videos, you know, yeah, like, yeah. The, you know, I, I honestly felt it actually happened at Richard Perkins farm. Uh, and I remember the moment, um, I was hanging out with Richard and we were wrapping up the course that we did together on his farm. This was yeah. August, 2018. And, uh, basically shit was hitting the fan on my farm. Like, like my main farm manager at the time, Mark just didn't manage. Like I basically said, I'm leaving for a month and it's all you. Like I'd been able to micromanage up until that point. Like I I would be in Sydney, Australia, getting texts from a chef, you know, and I, I would be delegating between me and Mark. Like the last two years on my farm, I wasn't really, especially the last year, I wasn't really on the farm as much uh, I was enough to make videos and make good videos and still know exactly what was going on when and where, but I didn't need to do the day to day. I was able to delegate, uh, just from remote. Um, but it was at this moment with Richard where I was like, you know, Mark kind of, he kind of didn't manage it as well as I, yeah. I, I, I wanted. And things were looking really bad for the winter because the month of August is so important uh, in North America. If you're, especially in my bioregion, if you're going to set up a farm for the winter, which was our plan, yeah. um, you got to get those fall crops you in and these crops so many successions wow. that the fall and winter was looking Forget like it. shit. And I, and I was like, and I was already looking at what was on my plate. Like I was managing, <laughs> I was helping manage a tools company, all this other stuff. And yeah. I was from the field wasn't going at that point, but I was like, man, this is just not sustainable. And at that point I'd already 
the the majority of the money I made was off the farm. So I was like, yeah. well, you know what? Like if I cut the farm at this point, I have to, cause I have a kid and I can't like, I can't jump back in the farm and fix all this yeah. because then I would be, then I would be uh, bailing on all my other obligations that make me way more wow. money. So it's just not wow. possible. And at that time too, I felt that I'd contributed enough to the urban farming space that mm. there was nothing really else to say. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd pretty much done everything I wanted to do creatively and, 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 and contributing to all the technical and, 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 you know, all those things that I'd done there, marketing and, and the business and all that. I was like, I don't really know what else to say with this anyways. So I'm just going to kind of check out and, and, and kind of throw caution to the wind and see. And then it was, you know, two, two or three months later, I met the Torn brothers and then it was like, boom. Oh, wait, that, was a snap, that was a snap, Curtis. Like you, when you made the decision, like, I'm not going to continue. So that was something that happened over a course of days when you like, it literally did. It happened at wow. Richard's farm because wow. I was getting all these updates from Mark of all these <laughs> things. And then I remember I was hanging out with a few guys there, a couple guys from Luxembourg, a couple guys from Sweden yeah. And, uh, out and Germany. And, and I'm just going like, man, like I'm going to have to shut my farm down. Like this wow. is crazy. Wow. And so, I and mean, how did you yeah, feel when after that happened? How did you, did you feel I mean, free? I, or? Yeah, I kind of did actually, like I wasn't yeah. scared. I mean, at this point, yeah. you know, mindset wise, I was beyond fear yeah. and, and I knew that whatever I, I was going to do was going to work. And I was just like, yeah, let's just figure it out. Like, cause at that time I was just thinking, well, I'll just do more public speaking. You know, the tools company's really getting off the ground now. And so I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, cause I, I never cared about money with any of this. Like I, I, I'd established making a living at all this a long time ago and making a good enough living that I could like get a mortgage and stuff like that. Right. So I just didn't care. I was like, well, whatever, you know? And also it sounds, it sounds like that was like the last element that had a little bit of kind of like a feeling of like employee. I mean, you had a job. Mm-hmm. It's like it sounded like it was a full-on job, really. The the which is I, I find, I'm not I'm the putting farm, down all. It's fantastic, yeah, exactly, yeah. The farm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. A- absolutely, yeah. It was then it was a it was quite a transcendent step into being like a pure entrepreneur. Yeah, that I don't even know what I am. I know I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> that's it, you know. Like, it, and so yeah, and then you know doing the membership and and yeah, now, where we Amazing. are today is I'm a, I'm essentially an uh, an agricultural journalist. And, and again, being a journalist is something that I don't know anything about. And I see people, <laughs> I see haters on YouTube saying you're a terrible journalist and, may, and maybe I am, but, but I can hold a camera. My wife is a professional photographer. I've learned a lot from her, but I know the questions to ask. And mm. so whether I'm the best journalist or not, doesn't really matter to me. I know that when I go onto a farm and I'm, I'm, I'm visiting some incredible operations, I know what to ask. I know how to create the most amount of value for my audience. And I know my audience love it. And I know that I'm creating value for my members because our membership has doubled mm-hmm. and we've, you know, we're hoping to 10 exit in what, the next year or two. What, what, let's talk a little bit about from the field. What, what do you, um, uh, what are the, first of all, I got, I, before it runs away, what are those questions? How do you get those questions? What are the, how do you come to the, are they technical questions? Well, yeah, they're your technical, but I mean, well, yeah, they're, they're technical because I have, you know, I've With been experience. entrenched in agriculture in the last mm-hmm. 10 years, yeah. 12 years. And, and so not only from market gardening on my own farm, but through my consulting practice, you know, I've been flying around and doing like I've consulted for, I think I have three students in Israel, you know, like I've consulted. Absolutely. I've got some great, uh, proteges in Israel. Like I, I have, I have done so much consulting work and helped solve so many problems for people on all kinds of different farms, mostly market gardens that I've got a very broad perspective on, you know, 
why things are the way they are and, and what to look for and what questions to ask that even when I'm going on farms now, cause I'm visiting all kinds of farms and, and yeah. from the field is not about market gardening though, for mm. sure at this point in time, certainly the lion's share of content yeah. is market gardening related. Yeah. Um, but where I'm trying to take it now is going into all forms of regenerative and sustainable agriculture. Wow, wow. And so I'm looking at aquaculture of all kinds. I'm looking at uh, holistic land management, all kinds. And, I, and I, what I'm trying to do is get other creators to come into the space to be that contributor. I want a holistic land management guy. Mm-hmm. I want um, an urban farming guy or girl. I want, you know what I mean? I want experts in all this. And so I'm hoping that this platform will be the number one uh, paid platform for regenerative and sustainable agriculture. Mm. And, and, and I'm not even just interested in regenerative or sustainable. Like I'm even interested in talking to conventional farmers because they have wisdom to share. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and the thing, the, the, yeah. the thing is, is like, I realize this, especially getting to know Joel Salton a bit is that farmers are disappearing fast. They're yeah. disappearing faster than they're being replaced. And there, and there's not nearly as many coming in to replace them. So there's so much knowledge out there that has yet to be captured. And the best farmers are not content creators. Yeah, definitely. So I I feel that it's my job to find them. They are. Mm -hmm. They are. Mm -hmm. So my job is to find them, whether it's me going to their farm or sending one of my my uh other other content creators because now with this whole COVID-19 thing, I might not even be able to leave my country or province. Yeah, yeah. Get ready to be in the studio alone. Exactly. So, but I mean, that's the project that I'm doing right now with this prepper farm is like, this is, I think this is going to be great content because I'm on a farm that's super diversified. It's got animals, it's got fruit, it's got all kinds of stone and soft fruit. And then we're going to have this super diversified vegetable garden. It's like, I, I think I might be, I might be going into the, I'm more excited about the content that I'm creating right now than I've ever have been wow. because it's, it's an opportunity to build a truly sustainable farm from scratch and i'm going to do it all in real time and it's only going to be on from the field like i okay, might so put little bits of it here and there on youtube so, so curtis let, let's get a bit clear what 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 how does it work on from the field what what now i'm i'm, I'm just lo- i'm going into your side i'm looking at it what what what's happening i'm signing up what what what's yeah there? so so it's basically a membership site where i publish long form content each week so it's very different than youtube because youtube if, if you're a youtuber and you want to make enough money to pay the bills, say at least make, make enough money to give you a thousand or 2000 bucks a month. You got to hammer the algorithms. You basically got to make videos where I, I personally feel like you're selling yourself out because you got to make videos that get views. So you got to have a, a clickbait type th- uh, title. So it's got to be something that's not really that related to the subject of the video to get people to click on it. Yeah. Because you're just chasing Google ad revenue, right? You got to have a thumbnail and then you got to make the, the content really fast paced and short form. And that's okay. There's lots of great YouTube content out there. But for me as a guy who I've been making content for a long, like a lot of years, and I've got hundreds of videos out there, I'm tired of it. And I know that the people that are like, say the hardcore subscribers to my channel that really, and they're the ones that show up to my YouTube live sessions and stuff like that. They really care about the deeper message. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to do at fromthefield.tv is go and capture the, go, go to a farm and capture in one, in one interview, the nuts and bolts of this operation, the thinking behind it and the story behind the farmer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that gets spread out over one or two or three videos. Sometimes I have to split it up. But okay. my goal is to is to create, you know, call it thirty five minutes to an hour and a half long video every single week from one particular operation or one particular thing. Cause like one thing I'm trying to do now is explore subjects. So instead of making a video with one farmer each week, talking mm-hmm. about his farm, I'm like my video next week or this week is going to be a video about managing, um, soft and stone fruit trees. And I've got two different farmers in it. Mm-hmm. So it's not about their operations. It's about what are the techniques that are used to manage tree fruits at the early stages. And it's mm-hmm. probably an over an hour, but this is the kind of content that I do. And so it's way more longer form. It's, 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 it's totally educational. Cause like, I'm not even the most flashy editor. Like I'm no Casey Neistat. Like I don't make these super flashy high paced videos. I do sometimes. And they're more, probably some of my more popular videos on YouTube, yeah. but from the field is strictly about the content. It's about mm-hmm. how do I get my members the most amount of value with this farmer that's got a short period of time they can give me, how do I extract the most of their wisdom and knowledge into this hour-long video? Okay, so people pay for a month. You get on there and you pay for a month, and then every yep. week you've got like another, you've got like another yep. long form on, on a variety yep. yeah, of different every, subjects. It's every week. And then the way I do it too is I split the videos up. So I go, I go and I shoot the primary, I call it the featured video, which is like the one take, the, the whole thing of, of, of the tour of the farm or the expert. And then I make an audio version of that so that they can listen to it when they're working. Yeah. And then I take that video and I split it up into multiple little bite-sized videos of here's so-and-so saying this one thing that was, it, it explains this one thing perfectly in two minutes, boom. And then all those are tagged so that now, and now that we've got this new platform, the searchability of it's going to get really good as we work through a couple little kinks, but you know, is that you can type one thing in and boom, you've got an answer on that exact thing. Wow. You don't have to go through any BS. It's like, so I'm just trying to create an encyclopedia type platform that can give mm. anybody who wants to be a homesteader or a farmer of the best chance they can get to go out and crush it very successfully. Cause I'm going to have the best experts in mm-hmm. these specific subjects delivering high value content to them. Mm-hmm. So have you got, have you also got like, I'm just curious if you've got also like entrepreneurs there that are like, you know, talking about, I, it on, I mean, everyone talks about that or. I do a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, I have had some videos with kind of entrepreneurs. I did a, one of my favorite interviews was with a guy named Patrick Kane who started this sort of multi-level um, cannabis operation in Colorado and he was just an entrepreneur and he bootstrapped it and they they were doing all three levels of, um, they were doing the extraction. They had a financial company and I did this long form sit down interview, which is, uh, anybody who's an entrepreneur is just going to drool over this content because it's just incredible (laughs) stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, but generally it's all within the space of regenerative and sustainable agriculture. Like that's generally where I am. I, you know, sometimes I might veer out of that a little bit, but that's kind of where I'm trying to focus because that's my niche. Um, but I've got some other great content creators that are coming into the fold. Um, I've got, um, Dakota Cohen, who's an incredible, he's like the next Joel Salatin. Mm -hmm. He's a young, uh, regenerative farmer doing holistic land management up in Northern Alberta. He's coming in as a content creator. He's going to be, he's going to be submitting consistent content on beautiful guys got the longest swale in the world. It's like, (laughs) it's got one and a half uh, kilometer long swale and he's, and he harvests, 
I think it's the longest one in the world. Maybe not. I mean, the longest one in Canada, let's say that for sure. Um, He harvests 40 years of water into his property every year. Wow. Incredible young farmer raising animals, all kinds of out so of the box. So your plan, your plan, your plan, is to have a few different content creators on 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 from the field. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and the next year I'd like to have at least five to ten, and I've already kind of know who those guys and girls are. Um, and then uh, in the years to come, I'm hoping that it's no longer really about me. It's 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 about the content because I'm you know I'm getting older and like I'm tired of being in front of the camera. Like though I still I I'm fine with it, you know, but I don't want my my family and my children on camera. That's been a, a pretty important value for me as I don't want my kids on social media. I don't want them to grow yeah. grow up uh and see a camera and I don't want them to be narcissists. You know? yeah, so yeah, 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 so yeah, I'm kinda yeah. I wanna be the I wanna be part of it and I wanna see this thing, but I wanna start featuring other people because I think there's there's wow. other great stories to tell. And there's other great farmers out there that are doing great work that I want to highlight and bring their bring their work to inspire a new generation of, of farmers. Amazing, amazing, and 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 it's uh, your members are liking it. The numbers are going up. You've got a lot of people. Yeah, the numbers are going up. The members love it. I mean, of mm. course, you have people that drop out here and there, but I, we're net positive for sure. We're so most growing. people. What's the retention like? People stay on for the for the months. People. How, I mean, it it's amazing. I, I think I think from the when we did the first launch. I think we have close to, it's got to be close to hundred percent of those. The first people that came in as the founding members. Cause when I first launched it, there was nothing there except a promise to make one video. Right? And then, and then the promise to make videos each week. So th- I brought those people in as founding members and they all paid $49 us for the year, uh, mm-hmm. or four ninety nine a month. I have, I mean, I'd have to look at it, but I know just cause I can see who comes and goes. Um, we have, it's probably at least 90% of those founding members still there. And then after that founding member launched, I increased the price to 99 bucks a year. And then uh, now it's, it's higher because there's more value. You know, that's the way I see it. It's like those founding members got in without a lot of content there, but they, they they came in on a promise and they believed in me and they believed in what I was going to do. And then people that come in later are coming in with a, with a mountain of content, you know, cause like now we've got the price at 20 bucks. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> somebody can come in for 20 bucks and if they wanted to binge watch everything for a month, they could, and that's all they had to pay, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but the, the best way to become a member now is to join as an annual member because the annual price is still fairly cheap. Yeah. And, um, that's the best way to get the most amount of value of it is come in mm-hmm. as an annual member and uh and invest in that in that content and amazing idea it's yeah. it's an amazing idea but also the back backstory behind that makes it even more you know makes it in gives a context for the for the for the idea of membership uh, sides of fantastic yeah, fantastic. yeah what i'm really curious about just uh, j- just to um, finish on this on this uh, subject is that so the the urban farming as a, i mean actual not the entity but the the side of urban farming teaching about market gardens so that's kind of your your although you're still running that as it is market gardens, it's kind of like you're, it's like a side project for you kind of now. Yeah. Like it's funny, actually, I, I, I still actually farm most of the land that I was farming in my last year of farming. So we had, um, we had four plots, but there was really three principal ones. There was, um, no, no, no. Sorry. We had three plots. There was two principal ones. There was my homestead, which I'm still farming. I'm, oh, I'm farming more. Okay. 
more of it than I was when I was farming because I'm homesteading <laughs> it now. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've built nice, really nice raised beds and all that. I got a little bit more room for my kids to run around though. But, and then I have another lease that's two blocks from me that was, I used to call the flagship plot. Uh, I'm still farming that 100%. I'm just growing storage <laughs> crops and other things there. And then I have, then I dropped, the only plot I dropped when I closed the farm was this one plot that's just a couple blocks from me that was kind of too small to be concerned about. Uh, but now I'm developing this half acre um, uh, close to where I, not not that close, but in, in my area. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually technically yes. farming just as much <laughs> as I ever was. I'm just not selling to restaurants and doing it all that way. But yeah, I'm still, yeah. I'm I, my my hands and my heart are still like, and my feet are like firmly placed in the ground and you, in the you earth. You leaned you up. Know? You trimmed the fat. I trimmed the fat, and I just yeah. looked at what was important because it was like you know with my. You know, pe- people like to to make comments like, "Oh, Curtis is a sellout because he makes money off the farm." It's like, yeah, so what? I, I, I'm 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 honest about that. Like, I, I make you know ten to a hundred times more what I could make on the farm, yeah. but I'm still a farmer because I'm still on the land. I'm just not commercially farming. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think so, anyone that, anyone that makes this claim, it's kind of it, it's a real shame because there's a massive opportunity to learn there. You know, I I see as, oh. you as as a, you know as obviously a great person, but also massive resource. There's a lot of uh, yeah stages oh, that have been gone through over there. Well, the neat the neat thing is now is like I mean I've explored commercial market gardening in my opinion as far as it could be gone. <laughs> I mean one my, one of my best friends is Jean Martin Fortier, you know, and so I I've been directly involved in his project since the beginning, you yeah. know, and. and and JM will tell you this is that the reason that farm makes the money that it does is because of my input. Cause I basically said to him, you know, he was building this 10 acre market garden. He was doing was like, big. Yeah. He's doing much bigger. Going big. And he had yeah. never sold the restaurants like I had. And so uh-huh. I came in, uh, before that, like right when they were breaking ground, just to do the initial development of that ground, I said, JM, look, you know, you need to be looking at these crops. And I Fast. basically gave him the biggest grain download that I could to help him <laughs> get started. And, and he'll tell you today, all the crops that make the most amount of money on their farm are the five crops that I told them to grow mm-hmm. and, and how to sell them and which densities to plant them in and all that. And so I, I, I'm, I'm just as entrenched, I mean, in, in gardening and farming as I ever have been, but I just felt that there was nothing really else for me to do with market gardening. Cause I'd done it all 800 videos on YouTube, visiting the best market gardens in the world, knowing the best market gardeners in the world. I mean, even guys like Vitruvian farms in Madison, Wisconsin, steadfast farm in in Mesa, Arizona, these guys are my buddies they're my good friends and i've learned and absorbed everything they've done and i've implemented in my own farm and so it's like when i had to close mine i was like yeah what i think i think that's that chapter in my life i've 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 felt like i've contributed enough to that space the next chapter is exploring new enterprises in agriculture Mm -hmm. and then how homesteading is for me and how now how that looks because when Mm -hmm. i was market gardening i wasn't really homesteading like i I am now Mm -hmm. like at this Mm -hmm. i mean i've got my brother-in-law does chickens we we grow you know i grow 80 different types of vegetables on our our homestead Mm -hmm. like i'm in i'm into this deep so so that's the other side now of the you from the field but now the other side over there is you're more into the homesteading now that's that sounds like than the okay absolutely and i and i and the the thing i'm super excited about as a result of what's going on in the world right now you know as we record this this is this covid-19 thing is insane we're looking at a global market 
collapse, yeah. global economic collapse, perhaps hyperinflation in six months. If all these governments go and inject money into the economy, it's going to mean that money's worth less. Like, come on, anybody looked at history is going to realize that. And so um, I'm looking at this as an opportunity to now take the homesteading to the next level. And I think mm-hmm. people around the world need to start growing food and getting serious. Yeah. And so Fantastic. I'm willing to share my experience with that knowing the best growers that I do around the world and taking all the things that I've learned over the last 12 years and implementing this into this new farm that is not commercial. The location is secret and, and, but I'm going to be sharing the experience with people, but I'm, I'm not (laughs) telling anybody where it is. And, um, because I, everybody, people find out where I live and it's, it's exhausting, you know, and, and people, people know where my main garden plot is and it's exhausting. You know, I want to have one thing in my life that's not public. <laughs> so it's it's going to be, and, and my family, you know, I'm, I'm private with my family. Um, but, uh, I'm excited cause like I've got, Wow, I've got a crew of guys that are just like the guys that do my tools manufacturing here in Kelowna. They've, they've kind of stepped in as partners into this garden and these guys are just amazing. They can build anything. Uh, they, they've got a fab lab that can construct anything we can imagine. So I feel like I've been preparing since 2008, I've been preparing for this moment. And right now it's, uh, it's super exciting. Okay, so so the content we're going to see from uh, Coda Stone in future is going to be a, a quite a, quite a different, sounds like a different kettle of fish. It is. Yeah. Yeah. The content from Curtis Stone on the, on, on the farm is going to be, you know, a prepper garden. It's going to mm-hmm. be a hardcore scaled up half acre, um, storage crops, um, intense diversity also. It sounds yes. Like. Intense diversity, mm-hmm. but sustenance, uh, fully regenerative, mm-hmm. um, maximum, uh, respect to the soil and the land. Um, still going to be as high rotation as it can be to be as productive as we need to be, but we don't need to be turning over beds five times in a season, right? Because it's a different context. Um, but then, you know, as as far as from the field goes, I mean, I've got other content creators that are going to be visiting great farms. Um, you know, hopefully I can travel because I had planned to visit a, a string of amazing farms, but if I can't visit them, I can find another way to get content from them. Do, do you and feel like so, in this yeah. in this new in the new iteration of um you know like the homesteading that I mean, it, the, the, I mean it's at least in the soil I know from like my that's my thing I love soil at least yeah. even in that con that's quite a different context to to the to the high rotation of market I mean as it I is it's all, yeah it is well different. no you're you're hundred percent correct it, it it's it's you're building a lot, a lot more soil over here. Oh, oh, yeah. And, and, and you don't need because I mean, this is why you, you might hear me say regenerative and sustainable. They're two yeah. different things. Yeah, totally. Uh, my urban farming was sustainable. Oh, oh. I would I wouldn't call it regenerative as far as regenerating to the land. I yeah, would call very it interested if you say that. Yeah, it, it could be maybe considered regenerative when you put in the social aspect. Totally. To it. Yeah, exactly. The so, yeah. There's the social regeneration. Yeah. But but urban farms aren't necessarily also the business side Curtis. The, the business side is very regenerative i mean that's got you to where you are now absolutely the, yeah yeah absolutely but you know i i like to be clear on where i and i, I you know a lot of these things have come to me through just exploring other farmers and, and conversations and, and kind of getting into the philosophy of it but hmm. there is a place for regenerative farming i think it's the future yeah. Of, of, of men and women on the land, I think regenerative farming is the number one future. But sustainable has a, play, a part to play too, because nice. yes, okay, so the, so urban farms in the city, 
can't necessarily build the level of soil that um, Joel Salatin could, but that's okay because sustainable is better than not sustainable. Right. (laughs) So, so that, that, and that's what it was. So like, you know, my urban farms were, were sustainable in that I, I would say, honestly, the soil did improve over the years, but not in the way that, that a guy like Alan Savory or Joel Salton. Uh, I think also the gap, I think it's important for people to know, Curtis, the gap between, you know, what, what you, what you're doing there, even though it's not regenerative, okay, sustainable, but the gap between that sustainable and having, you know, buying your, your stuff chemically from the supermarket that's been sprayed with who knows what is a, it's like a logarithmic gap. It's a huge gap. It's just a little bit different. It's, it's huge. Well, that's it. And and the way I look at it is, you know, I've never really drawn this out, but I, I kind of think about it in my mind that there's sort of this matrix of regenerative. It's maybe it's a line of, you know, uh, really bad. And so it's like a diminishing returns type thing to regenerative. And then there's everywhere in between. Mm. And there's certain elements that give you points to be regenerative and sustainable or not. And, and it's all kind of this, this matrix, um, is that the, the biggest role urban farms have to play. And I realized this when I, I visited Michael Abelman, one of the greatest farmers I've ever interviewed, a real true veteran in, in the sustainable and urban agriculture movement, uh, author of many books, um, friends with Elliot Coleman, I went to his home farm on Salt Spring Island. And man, I had the most philosophical conversation with Michael Abelman about urban farming. I actually documented the whole thing. It's on from the field. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the best interviews I've ever done. And uh, we talked about urban farming because this guy, this guy was one of the first urban farmers in Southern California. Uh, this was in the 80s. Uh, developed a big urban farm there. And then he went to go and farm the uh, soul food farm in Vancouver, which is the biggest urban farm in Vancouver, which is more of a a social enterprise. Mm -hmm. Um, But we had a really philosophical conversation about urban farming. And I felt it felt so cool. I felt like I was, I was sort of Luke Skywalker talking to Obi-Wan Kenobi (laughs) about, you know, I'm Luke Skywalker, this young guy with a lot of ideas and a bit of experience. And he's this older dude who's had a lot of experience and had had time for that philosophy to settle. And we talked about urban farming and we both agreed at that moment by, I said it and then he agreed. And I was like, yes, that's it. Is, is I said, you know, perhaps the most important role for urban farming isn't really the farming itself, but it's to pull people in the cities to a place to understand their place on the land mm-hmm. because the people in the cities don't have that connection to the oh. land. But the role that an urban farmer has is to br- give people a little taste of what soil is like mm-hmm. and a little bit taste, uh, a little bit of a taste of what it's like to be on that land. And that gets them hooked and then they're going to want more and then they're going to explore more. Yeah. I, and, feel, uh, I, I feel, I feel like you, I, I took, I, I'm, I'm, pla- I'm pleased that I must be doing something right because we got to that point at the, you know, at the end of the interview that you got to that uh, Nikud. It's like a very, that's to that point, that specific point. It's a, yeah. that's right at the heart of it. Really it I is. agree with you hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. 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 And so that's kind of where I'm at today. Fantastic. Fantastic. Curtis. I, I listen, I feel like we could, there's a lot more things that we could dig into here, but I've, uh, We've got a, well, let, got you know, I, happy to do it again, man. This has been Fantastic. one. Of, you, you've been one of the greatest interviewers I've ever uh, done a podcast with. <laughs> thanks so, a lot. I really so thanks. It. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, fantastic. I really, I, I, I was looking forward to opening a lot of the subjects, and we opened a lot more than I thought. So it's, uh, it's really, really pleasant uh, having you on. Pleasant is not the word, but you know, I'll use that. Yeah, 
Absolutely, yeah, fantastic. Likewise. There's a lot of lot of quite a few questions we didn't get into, but I, you know, I hope to hope to do it again soon. Definitely, absolutely, yeah. Let me know. Fantastic, Curtis. Curtis, um, just before we go, is there a message you wanted? If you had one message to give to you know to to people listening, what what would that be? Um, don't hesitate. Act. Mm. Just uh, this is the time to act. Um, if you uh, if you if you th- if you knew. For if you've known for a while that the, that, that things weren't right in the world, um, and you didn't act, it's not too late. But don't hesitate any longer. You need to act now. Um, you need to take care of yourself and your family. And I would say you need to extend that at least to your neighbors, mm-hmm. and uh, look to add value in these times. Uh, look to add value to the people around you. You know, one thing I just did in my neighborhood is I told all my immediate neighbors, I said, Hey, if you want me to come and rototill your garden or your yard, I'll come and do it for free. And you can start growing food because you should be growing food now. And, uh, there's, there's, there's no time like the present. So stop thinking about it and just do it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So anyone that wants to catch Curtis, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes because there's too many links to list. There's a yeah, lot of I things know. going on. So. <laughs> so if anyone wants to check out Curtis Stone, what he's doing, check out the show notes in this, uh, in this episode. And he wants to check out us. You'll get us all the usual channels. Very soon we'll have the YouTube channel up and we'll have the, um, the subtitles into Hebrew. So the locals can, some people that are having trouble with the English will get it. And I uh, really look forward to the next time in the next iteration with, uh, with Curtis Stone. Keep a strong eye on this fellow because, uh, is going places, <laughs> more, more, more diverse places. So really look forward to the next time we talk, Curtis. Thank you. Been a blast.